Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. All she wanted to do was help other people, so I just find it so bizarre that, that such evil found such light. That's Kylie Nicholas, and the person she's talking about is her younger sister, Nicole Patterson. Kylie contacted us recently to ask if she could speak with me. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of hers asked her if she'd ever heard of our podcast, and she hadn't. She was shocked to hear that in an episode we recorded in 2017 with former homicide detective Jeff Ma, I mentioned having met Nicole two weeks before she was murdered by serial killer Peter Dupass. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Kylie hoped I could tell her more about my meeting with her younger sister and we started emailing back and forth. Of course, I asked if she'd be interested in podcasting and eventually she agreed. I have to tell you, I think it's a very special podcast for many reasons and all of them are about Kylie. It's a longer episode than usual, and it includes themes that we don't normally cover. 
There's a subsequent interview at the end, instigated by Kylie, and a pretty big confession from me. I hope you have time to really sit with this one because in such an uncertain world, it's not every day you get to spend time with someone like Kylie Nicholas. She might even call it a God drop. She started by reminding me of how long ago she lost her sister Nicole, but as is her way, she quickly shifted to her concern for the rest of us. Yeah, 21 and a half years it's been. So, is it? Yes, it's crazy to be this side. But I was just thinking about how much we were blindsided. Like it just came out of nowhere being such a, like being a psychopath and being one of these tragic murders that people don't see coming. So we were, I was just, I was just thinking about how completely blindsided we were and then thinking how poignant it is to be talking to you today at a time when we've been collectively blindsided and COVID is enveloping the globe and it's this time of deep sorrow and it just, yeah, it just feels particularly poignant. And plus, do you find yourself thinking about people who aren't here to witness it and wondering what they would make of it? Yes. <laughs> That's crazy. I have thought about that. I think, yeah, it's been a time to really stop and reflect. And I look, I think um, I work as a chaplain and I see it's been quite heartbreaking, the impact of mm. to walk alongside families, particularly those who have passed from COVID, but those who have died from natural causes and they haven't been able to be with their loved ones or have proper funerals and I just think um, so obviously there's been that terrible terrible cost and pain and I believe trauma that will go on but I think there have been positives if we look for them there's a lot to you know we it has given us time to go deeper and reflect yeah I know what you mean and it is hard to talk about positives obviously I feel sorry for Nadia, the wag who, I don't know if you read any of these sorts of sites. Oh, this poor girl who's, she's a footy wife or something. And she posted on her social media how she thought that COVID had actually been just really great because it it let her get into her fitness and... uh, And I just thought, oh, I can just imagine the comments. I didn't even look because I I can imagine. the What a brave lady. What a brave lady. I can imagine the comments that she would have gotten for saying something like that. But you know what, if, if you look from a compassionate side, like I, I, I just think, imagine her life prior. It would have, she would have had no time. Yeah. I can only imagine like people's lives who are whirlwinds. It has, look. Let me preface it by saying there are there's no there's no real positives if if we could choose like it's like with Nikki's murder if you know the suffering I'm a different person and it's because of the suffering the suffering is taking me deeper and I'll never forget one of my best friends mum gave me this little card that said suffering is a gift you know da da da, da. and I just about put it in the bin like I didn't want to hear that my beloved sister had been murdered but. Now I get that would we choose this? No way. Would we ever choose suffering? I don't, I would never choose it. I I tell you what, if I could go back and things could be different, I would never want all the lessons I've learned. I would rather have Nikki and be ignorant, to be honest. Of course. And not have grown. And I think, but I think there is room in suffering to say, hey, this is where it feels a bit better in my life. I don't know this person that you talk of, but I can only imagine that. It must have been a whirlwind. I talk to parents who say we're actually sitting around the table having family dinners now, whereas before we're always off to sports. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely do. And you're not the first family member of a victim who has said, you know, I know this is a weird thing to say, but in a way it's gifted me. Mm-hmm. I've become this different person and I've, I've created this whole other life around it that's enabled me to help so many other people and I would never have done that. And Exactly. Yeah. Would I choose it? Not in a million years. I'd rather have my sister here um, and that's obvious. But the thing is there was no, you know, look, I, I've met many, many victims of crime over the years and there's many, many victims of crime who stay in the same place and I'm not going to judge them. Like they stay victims, they stay... Um, focused on the terrible tragedy of what's happened and they can't get out of that place and it eats them and it, and it kills them. 
perhaps I would have been one of those people too. But I could, I'll never. I just feel, yeah, really lucky to not to at least be having a crack one day at a time. My life is not perfect, and it's not free of pain, and it's not. I'll always have a broken heart, but I've learned how to live around that. And to, I think it's finding meaning. I think it's about. I think one of the big game changers for me was reading Viktor Frankl's Search for Meaning and, um, you know, he talks, he was a, do you know Viktor Frankl? No. He was interned, I think he was in his 30s when he was in Auschwitz and uh, he survived Auschwitz and it, he talks about, and he was a psychiatrist prior to the war and he talks about his observations of people and those that chose it was attitude. It was attitude that made the difference between life and death. And I think when you're a mother, you actually don't really, at the end of the day, even though you may get to the point where you think, I've got no choice, I can't go on, you actually do have to choose life because you have little people. Well, that's where I where I landed. And then, okay, if I have to do this, I don't want to live this miserable existence. So what, what can I do to make, you know, to find meaning, and Viktor Frankl talks about it's called man's search for meaning, and I think that was really pivotal, um, pivotal for me in my journey. Oh, and obviously, I was an atheist. Um, mm. I was a yeah. I'm a first generational Christian, and I'm not your most conventional Christian. I'll give you that, but um, I do believe in a God because um, I'll never forget actually going into court and. Jeff Ma, the head of homicide, saying, gosh, what's happened to you? Because I just looked different. And I said, I don't know, Jeff, all I can tell you is I couldn't do life and now I can. <laughs> so anyway, I'm not sure if that's something that you really want me to discuss. But um, Yeah, that's fascinating. I was about to ask you, were you Christian? Were you ministering before? No, oh, no, 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 no. I was a dead set atheist. I was. And in fact, when Nikki was murdered, I um, just really believed that was evidence again that God didn't exist because there is so much senseless suffering in this world. And you just question if there is a God, how how can God exist? You know, my mum will still, but my mum still subscribes to that view. Um, you know, I'm happy for you, Kylie. She says, but I'm sorry. You know, if if there was a God, he would have intervened. I mean, you just have to, you know, intervened and prevented Nicole's murder, obviously. Um, but yeah, that that's a really quite a long story. That I'd, you know, maybe we can save that for another time. But I really just wanted to say, I'm, I was so excited when my friend told me that. That you you know you as a podcaster and you'd mentioned um, Nicole that you'd met her and yeah I was just fascinated by that so thanks heaps for um... I was fascinated by your, your email I was like <laughs> wow I was not expecting that and that was so great because every time like I've told that story a couple of times and I always hesitate to tell it because I always think oh I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to like link myself to Nicole or make out that we had a relationship or a friendship that we didn't. Oh, that's so. That's actually really thoughtful of you to say that because do you know how many um, these sort of things that happen? Like I'll I'll never forget. All of us people come out. I'm saying, oh, so and so knows you. It was like they were living vicariously through the fact that my sister had been murdered, and oh yeah, they knew Nikki, and they and they know you, and I'm like, never heard of them. It's just this bizarre thing that people do. It's sort of it's so. I appreciate that you have that wisdom to go. But you did have a little snippet that I didn't know and it's like I've really appreciated. There was a woman who wrote a song about Nicole and she after her first meeting with her, that's how impacted she was. And so I just love hearing stories and when you shared that she spoke and the girls were really impacted and, yeah, it was a- well, that's it. We were the same. Yeah, absolutely. We had these staff meetings set up by the lady who ran our brothel, who is such a beautiful lady, Miss Vic, Miss Vicky. Yeah, cool. Yeah, she's so beautiful. And she she was a famous sex worker. She was famously successful sex worker and she loved it. She loved the, the job. And then as she got older, she moved into management and she was like a proud, proud member of the sex industry. And, but she always thought, you know, you, but you've got to be positive about it, girls. Like you've got to, you know, save your money and buy yourself a house and all that. That's awesome. 
And so she would counsel the girls about money and try and set them up with bank managers and all that stuff. And it was her initiative to get guest speakers in because I know Nikki was going around to brothels to in, you know, she was really passionate about women's self-esteem and self-care and self-love. I think they probably met up through the, in those days it was called the Prostitutes Collective of Victoria or something, which is not a very PC name now, but this was in the late 90s. And so Miss Vic decided we'd have staff meetings, which we all thought was hilarious. (laughs) And, but as I said, she'd put on free food and drink. And so some people would come and, and it was in a bar. And I remember the guest speaker before, it was once a month, the lady who came before the month before Nikki had slides And there were other people in the bar and this lady's putting up slides of STDs and we were laughing. (laughs) It was ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, how fun. It was hilarious. How fun. I remember Nikki's session very clearly. I remember she, I remember what she wore. What did she wear? She wore this long skirt, as was the thing in the late 90s. She was like kind of grunge. Yeah, yeah. She, no makeup. She's really pretty blonde and very natural yeah very natural very short hair then do you remember yeah 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 because she hadn't cut her hair that long before she died so I just wondered it's funny the things that you you sort of want to know as a sister yeah (laughs) like trying to picture when you met her Mm. so we go into the staff meeting down at the bar and we're just thinking oh I hope there's spring rolls you know (laughs) (laughs) nice lady over there setting up her little table of pamphlets and that and we think oh bless oh okay at least she's young she looks cool like hopefully it won't be too boring (laughs) and (laughs) and then she starts talking and I'll probably get in trouble from for this on social media but a lot of the girls had come from traumatic backgrounds you know Mm. and so when she started talking they really did engage very quickly because she was very straightforward but she was talking about self-care and she was talking about being kind to yourself and she got to them very quickly and mm. she was just kind. and That's awesome. She did have an amazing, amazing ability to draw people towards her. I think because of her, her realness and she was had a peacefulness mm. about her, um, a complete, she had a complete lack of judgment I think too and just had this amazing ability to accept everyone and... I think too she had an incredible wisdom because of, yeah, you know her her experiences in life. I think she had an incredible wisdom as well for for her years. So they really wanted a lot of them grabbed her card. In fact, she ran out of cards. I remember. Oh, that's cool. She would have been spoke. Yeah. Well, she was really early in. Um, so she was working at the Ardoch Youth Foundation, um, where she'd been working while she was finishing up her supervision. That's it. I remember that because when the stories started to come out, it was so triggering is the word I'm going to use because I remember her telling us all of that. I'm I'm just setting up my own business. I don't really have the cards ready yet. I'm working out of my home. It's mm. just starting this new life. It, it, I think that's added to the tragedy because she was just in this most, she'd just come to this most beautiful place in her life um she'd done all the work on herself in conjunction with that work on herself she'd always worked and helped other people she always worked in a field where she was helping other people but she'd got to this place where she was starting her own business and she was just beaming with love and light and excitement and I'll never forget this the Saturday night when I saw her before she died which was the Monday morning she was so excited that she had a new client. She'd had clients. This was a new client. Like this, this um, well, as we know now, Dupas, um, he'd been, um, you know, spinning her this story of that he was depressed and having relationship troubles and, you know, of course she wanted to help him but she had no idea. So she'd never met him and so the first time she met him obviously was when he came to her house. But I remember on the Saturday night, she was just like, Kylie, I'm so excited. You know, I've, I've got a new client on Monday morning. And yeah, it was a really big deal because this was a new, you know, she'd created this, you know, she was living her passion and all she wanted to do was help other people. So I just find it so 
bizarre that that such evil found such light because she really was such a being of light. She just emanated this light. I've never met anyone like her, actually, and it's not just because she's my sister. I really have yet to meet anyone like her. Um, yeah, and this evil predator made an appointment, but his, it was never his, his intention to have psychotherapy, obviously. So um, she let him in, went down to the kitchen and prepared the coffee and came back to the front room where she worked from. And that's when he attacked her and stabbed her to death and then mutilated her body. So very horrific and, um, like I said before, very blindsiding for us all. We just, I'll never forget that, the call when we found out, the call I call it, (laughs) that call. Yeah. Sorry, I think I digressed. No, no, not at all. Yes, but, yeah, the, the tragedy, isn't that the tragedy of her being on this precipice of this this new season in her life and just getting to this really amazing place where she just had so much to give. She'd done all the work on herself and just worked so hard at the course and, yeah, she was just amazing. I remember walking into my shift at the brothel a couple of nights later and the girls running out to tell me. Oh, wow. That's Nikki. It was Nikki. Wow. How was that for you? Oh, it was devastating. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you'd only met her the once and it was yeah. still really impacted. Mm. But some of them had said that they'd called her and, and she hadn't got back to them and now they knew why. Or, mm-hmm. But, no, they were, they were devastated. Mm. Yeah, I can't, I can't even tell you, like, the journey. It's kind of bizarre. I feel really old now to think that we're coming up for 22 years in April it'll be. So it, um, my children who were seven and not quite three are now 28 and 24 and I'm a grandma. Like, And it's just so bizarre and I just think of all those all the milestones that she's been missed and that she's missed and that she's never got to experience for herself as well. Like, you know, when that's really sad when, you know, we attend a 30th, I think, oh, Nikki never got a 30th or a 40th or a 50th or never had the chance to get married and have children. And I just feel, you know, that that's been a lot of processing around the frustrations of what has been taken from her and what has been taken from us. Like, obviously, you her presence in our life is gone so we miss all that joy of being with her but it's also um all of those things that she's never had to experience she's never had the opportunity to experience and it's completely senseless and it should never have happened this was a man that that that's my biggest it's taken me the longest time to process the fact that a man that has preyed on that preyed on women for over 30 years and was labelled the most vicious serial rapist never, ever received the maximum sentence. He, despite continually committing the most heinous crimes against women, he never, ever got a maximum sentence and every time he was released he re-offended immediately while he was on parole. You just think so much has been taken and the trauma that that occurs with a homicide, the actual trauma, and I think of what my young daughters had to experience. Unfortunately, a year after Nikki was murdered, my husband and I separated, so we didn't we didn't make it through that trauma, you know, initially. So, that, you know, the, the girls, my two daughters, you know, the impact that's had on their whole life, you know, my parents, my brother, he moved overseas. He lives overseas. I guess that was his grief response. Whenever you hear of a murder, but particularly a young woman, um, I'll, I'll never forget when Jill Ma died and it was a similar case with Adrian Bailey. Like he should never have been free to kill. Like he, he was a repeat offender. Like I do remember um, back in the day, like we got quite passionate about advocating you know, for changes to the system back in the early days. And I remember even, you know, campaigning as a, as a member of Victim of Crime. I remember going with mum. We got we had a meeting with Rob, Rob Hulls, who was the, the Attorney General at the time, and 
I just remember, and I remember that there were all these things that came out that back in 1981, um, this doctor said this, you know, about this about Dupas that it was unlikely he would ever be rehabilitated. And there were all these statements over the years and we took all of this, you know, we campaigned and it, it was just like you may as well have been banging your head against a brick wall. Nobody, as particularly of the feminine voice, I just think this society we live in has real trouble hearing particularly a calm feminine voice. It still is such a patriarchal society, I'm sorry, but I I don't imagine that anything will really change until in terms of the system, until perhaps a judge's child is murdered or until there's an impact. Look, and I know, look, I know it's complex. I know the system is really complex. It's not a just, I don't believe it's particularly just always, but it's a system and it's all we've got. Um, I do think the police are amazing. The police fight to catch these evil predators and but unfortunately they're released to, to prey on women again. Yeah, and we do hear that those sentiments from the other side too, from from police, from homicide detectives and former detectives. It's really lovely to hear from you the kind of relationship that you still have with Jeff Ma. Oh, we love Jeff. We do. I'll never, ever forget. It was only, you know, and there's a lot you forget with trauma and shock and, I mean, you know, I can I can recall that I was rocking back back and forth for many weeks after. It's like your body is trying to assimilate this this terrible. You know, it's such a fracturing thing for the psyche. I remember just fracturing into so many parts. So, but I do remember being at my dad's house in Camberwell, and Jeff was there, and I remember saying to him, Jeff, you know, how the heck do you do this? Go to these crime scenes. And see what you see. How do you do, you know, because it was horrific, you know, it, it was horrific. And, you know, these amazing people are going to these crime scenes and being impacted. And I, I, I remember saying to him, how, how do you do it? And he said, Kylie, I love my job because I, you know, we've got to catch these evil people you know we had you know he it was just so passionate we've got to get them off the street and I just remember being really you know the sacrifice these police make their their own well-being you know the stresses that they're under and back when Nikki was murdered was a time when police were allowed to work around the clock and they did you know because if you look at it from our point of view as a Nikki had no enemies she was an absolute sweetheart like there was we were trying to think was it her boyfriend's ex-partner we're we're grappling for answers you know we know it's true and yet we can't believe this has happened and these police just worked tirelessly (laughs) I remember Jeff said they didn't talk for days they just were just so shocked and just so focused on what it was just this eerie sense at um, St Kilda Road. I, I remember him describing it. Yeah, we are just really impacted by how much they cared about us, even though they had this job to do, that they really wanted to get this perpetrator for us to have that justice. And, yeah, we have stayed in touch because we're all just so grateful to Jeff and the team. Yeah, that was a, they, were, they were yeah, really, really great people. How long did it take for you to hear the name Peter Dupas? Do you remember? Um, yes, I I believe it was on the Thursday. So oh, really? That quick? It was very quick. I believe it was three days. I, so Monday morning, she died. Monday night, her friend Rena was going over there for dinner and found her. We were just like, "What the heck is going on? Like, who could have done this? Like, it that just adds to." You're in this complete shock. So you're going, you know, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're, not, you're having all sorts of toileting and vomiting issues because of the shock. Like it's just, you've got, you know, for me as a mum, I still had to kind of be present and, you know, I had a child that still needed um, special formula because of her health issues and it was just this bizarre time. But I remember it was, we definitely, we definitely knew by the funeral, which was on Friday. So I believe it was. We found out on the Thursday that we heard the name Peter Dupas, but 
for us that meant nothing, but we knew we were told it was um, a serial rapist and a you know a violent a violent man that had yeah we were told that he'd he'd been known to police since he was fourteen. So it was like, well, how did he find Nikki? And then that just starts that whole other line of questioning. That's a lot, it's a lot to take in in a week. It's almost I'm thinking it's almost like I'd rather not. I'd rather take a little bit longer. Well, I don't know because um, I don't know. I think the, the not knowing is horrendous, actually, and I really feel for other victims of crime. I think I said that in an email to you that we knew. Well, it was my dad that gave me that, that perspective. Actually, he's he's very he's very good like that. He said I was probably feeling particularly sorry for myself or down about it all, and he said, you know, we are very lucky because one, we had her body. The police found her body, like it. In a lot of homicides and these psychopaths, their bodies never found. So we did, even though homicide did take away so much from us, like we couldn't, we couldn't um, go to her house because it was a crime scene. We weren't allowed into her house. We we were told at the viewing um, that you can't not to not to cuddle her because um, we weren't to touch her because. She was so badly damaged that she might, you know, not stay in one piece. Um, that, you know, homicide in terms of that, you know, for that final goodbye of viewing in the coffin, just to have this little part of her face peeking out from this sort of, I don't know what you would call it, this surely thing they draped over her. So, you know, homicide took so much away from us. Um, but we have to remember that we did have a body to say goodbye to. We have to remember that the perpetrator was caught and we have to hold on to the fact that we did get closure through the courts. And those three things are, we are grateful for it because we know that other families don't get that. And I can't imagine what that's like to not know where, you know, like these little children that was, where are they and what happened and like, yeah, I can't even imagine. So we have to be grateful for those things that we, we did, even though homicide took so much from us. And it's terrible, terrible, Michelle. I can't tell you how long it lasts in your mind where you just, your brain just goes over imagining what's happened. And it, it's horrific what homicide, you know, not only have you lost somebody so dear to you in a sec, in an instant, but you have, but you, you have the torment of the way they died and what were they feeling and, yeah, it's not something you can ever imagine even. If someone had told me it would happen, I thought, well, I'm sure I'll drop dead of a heart attack. I wouldn't survive it. I couldn't imagine of surviving if I'd known. But the body's amazing. Shock is amazing. It protects you. And that's something when I work with people dealing with horrendous grief so I can don't share my story, but I can absolutely give credibility to the fact of what what they're um, experiencing. And speaking of shock, tell me about Rena. Tell me about her experience. Rena's got an amazing story. Have you met Rena? No. It'd be amazing if you could get on to Rena. She, can you imagine what she went through? She went to the house. She was struck by the fact that it was dark. It felt cold, like, you know, Nikki would have had the heater on. The door was ajar a little bit. And so she walked into the house and it's, it was one of those houses in North that have those long passages and then all the houses, are, I mean, all the rooms are off t- to one side. So the very front room, the, her home office was at the very front of the house. So she looked in there and she couldn't make sense because of the shock again. She couldn't really make sense of what she saw. At first she thought Nikki, I remember her telling me, she thought Nikki was playing some kind of bizarre game that, you know, was was she playing charades or was she, was she you know, Nikki was a creative soul and was a painter and, you know, was Nikki doing something weird and, and then she thought, oh, my gosh, Nikki's killed herself. Like what's, why would she, what has she done to herself? And then, and then when she looked again, she thought, oh, no, Nikki couldn't have done that to herself. 
So Raina was a very special friend of Nicole's and Raina was actually the daughter-in-law of the head of the psychotherapy school that the couple that run the school where Nikki trained, the college where Nikki trained, Rena was married to their son or with their son. So Rena didn't ring the police first. She rang Carly to say something's happening to Nikki, something's happening to Nikki, you know, and then Carly said ring the police. And so my brother's girlfriend happened to be at Carly's house because, you know, they're all connected so my brother's girlfriend, uh, Lisa, was with Carly and so Andrew and Carly were talking, something's happened to Nikki, Nikki's dead. So then Lisa's rung my brother and then my brother's rung my dad and my poor dad got the phone call from my brother saying, Nikki's dead, Nikki's dead, Nikki's dead. So that's how he found out the news. And so then I got, then I got a phone call from my stepmom, my dad's wife, Um, so Katie rang me and then I didn't realize that I'd sort of collapsed, but I I do remember my husband coming along, grabbing the phone, talking to Katie and then saying, we've got to ring your mum. And then I remember grabbing the phone and saying, you can't ring mum, you can't ring mum, you can't ring (laughs) mum. Um, so anyway, so basically back to Rena. So then the police came and then it was a crime scene. My dad and my brother went over there, but they were very frustrated that they had to stay in the car. They, even though, and so then they had to convince the police too. Like my dad said, he had to say, you know, I'm Nicole's father and this is her brother. And but I'm assuming that your dad and brother would not have been allowed in, right? No, no. They were very frustrated that. And yet, in hindsight, that surely that would be for the best. Well, it's it's a tricky thing because it, I I don't know because I still one of my biggest because I remember saying to my husband I was just like it was this mantra you've got to take me to Nikki's you've got to take me to Nikki's we've got to go to Northcote we've got to sort this out this has got to have been a mistake. And I hounded this poor guy. He had to make that really hard call. He he really believes I've never forgiven him for it, but of course I forgive him for it. He made a choice, but I was just obsessed. I had to get over to her house. But I know now, obviously, I wouldn't have been allowed to go in there anyway, but that's all you want to do is be, you know, and it, can you imagine as a parent or an older sibling, Oh yeah, you feel this protective, like you want to... Um, you want to take care, even in death, you want to take care of her. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's another, that was a very frustrating aspect of the fact that it was homicide, that, you know, we couldn't hold her body, you know, and by the time we did see her body, like I said, it, it she'd ha- obviously that had to be, had to go to the coroners and, yeah, so horrendous, horrendous. Full on, hey? Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's full on to to talk about it. Do you talk about it very often? It's, well, when's the last time you talked about it like this? Not like for a long time. <laughs> not for a long time. That's probably why it's coming out um, as it is. Because yeah, I was very very repetitive and obsessed. I think I've learnt too now that I'm in a role of counselling and um, ministering to others in grief. I understand that what we do in we particularly as women i think there's men also that but particularly as women we vote we're verbal processes so uh in order to process this enormous loss and in in order to process the the way that nikki died i needed to verbalize it and i did that repeatedly and um, i had two years of psychotherapy myself with which is an interesting story in itself because Nikki pretty much effectively set me up with one of her colleagues. She set me up with one of her colleagues pretty much the Friday night before she died. No way. Yep. So, and I had, and on the Saturday night when we caught up at my dad's for the family dinner, which was the last time we all saw her on the Saturday night, I remember when we were embracing and saying goodbye, she said, I'll call you um, Tuesday night to see how you got on with Mary because I had actually made an appointment with Mary on Tuesday 
Nikki was murdered on the Monday. So I remember bizarrely ringing Mary on the Tuesday morning who obviously knew about it being in the psychotherapy circle, that close group of girlfriends. I remember ringing Mary quite calmly and saying, look, I'm really sorry, Mary, I actually can't make the session today. (gasps) Nikki's been murdered. And she said, oh, Kylie. And she just kept me on the phone and I just wouldn't be able to tell you what we spoke of. Um, But I just remember like how incredible that that was set up just before she died. And so I had this amazing woman I don't think I really had the presence of mind to thank her back at the time exactly how and tell her exactly how much she did really help me. But, um, yeah, so it's incredible. And even the way that uh, Nikki had this um, incredible thing above her desk, a little saying, I don't know if you've heard of morning is, morning is not forgetting. Have you heard of that? Mar- no. Marjorie Allingham, I think her name is. She had this, it was almost like instructions for us. She'd left us instructions on her desk of what we were to do after her. Like it, it's kind of like you might just say, well, that's all a bit spiritual. and But it was, there were so many little things that she'd left to help us in. Not that, she, you know, could she have known? I don't, how could she know? Did, the police said that she was being, that she'd been stalked for six weeks and she had said she'd been having dreams of a wolf, like a, so it's a predator. So maybe on a subconscious level, she knew she was being stalked. I don't know, but um, she did leave this amazing little this wisdom. It's like mourning is not forgetting. It's an undoing. Every minute tie has to be untied, and something permanent and valuable recovered and assimilated. It goes on to say the end is gain. Of course, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be made strong. In fact but the process is like all human births, painful, long and dangerous. And I just think how amazing that she left that, that that was just on her desk. And now here you are in counselling, in a counselling role. Were you, I mean, I know you weren't Christian and you weren't in the pastoral role, but were you looking into counselling before? No, no. So I'd always had a heart for kids, so I went. Um, teachers college straight from school then I became a mum my first calling actually after Nikki died was funerals so I became a funeral celebrant so I did that for five years so working with families in grief and then so that was probably my first calling once I became a Christian and I found that quite interesting because I'd pretty much after Nikki died you know back when I was still like starting to think well if there is a God I'll tell you what I'm never doing I'm never going to another funeral again and the gloves are off I'm not doing death and you know all those things that you say to the universe or to God (laughs) and and so I have a bit of a laugh and I think you know God must have been laughing or you know whatever you believe to think that yeah my first calling was to be going and ministering to families in grief and and leading services and um, I was so passionate about doing beautiful, like it's the last chance for families to say goodbye. So um, but that, that took its toll and then I ended up sort of feeling I still wanted to help people in grief but it wasn't all I wanted to do. So I found myself being led to do a course in ministry and theology and my first role and I've been doing that for the last six years as a school chaplain so I get to work with children but funnily enough the schools where I've been led to in the last four years we've had three dads commit suicide so ministering to families through their horrendous grief of losing their husband and father working with the children and those left behind we've had the very tragic loss of an older sibling actually two older siblings, one to suicide and one to a freak accident. So working with the siblings and the family, again, left behind. So, But it's not all I do now, so I think that makes it more manageable that, you know, I might be working with children with anxiety or I might be working with parents that have separated and need support or their children need support or domestic violence or, you know, it's it's a bit more varied now than just going to funerals every day, which is 
kind of ironic, but I think in that season that brought me some sort of closure or peace. I remember my eldest was 16 and I remember one of her friends saying to me, Kylie, you know, you're just so weird. What, you know, <laughs> why are you, you know, you go to funerals every day. And I remember saying, you know, it's actually not weird. It's part of, I'm learning that it's part of life. And in understanding that death occurs, like obviously this tragic is another, but death, unfortunately, is we have to say goodbye to our loved ones. It teaches us that life is short. And so that's where I learned, like, life is this gift and it's so fragile. So doing funerals reminded me of that. Yeah. And sometimes you have to walk right up to something every day, don't you? To really just face it every day. So true. That's so true. I think that's our greatest teacher until you, we can be afraid of something and want to avoid it, but it's actually when we go close to it and experience it and live it, but not, don't stay there, but don't stay there. You know, like I think for years I marinated in my grief and I very depressed and, and, you know, put on the mask, but that inside my head, it was not good. And, you know, you, you put on a show for the kids and the family because you don't want it, but you, you just quietly go insane. So I think there's a place for feeling it, but then you've got to, you can't stay there. You, you've got to validate that, you've got to feel it, and you've got to release it. Easier said than done. <laughs> You may have noticed we've reissued episode 31 of Australian True Crime, featuring retired homicide detective Jeff Marr, who led the investigation into the murder of Nicole Patterson. Still to come on this all-new episode of Australian True Crime, I have a confession to make that will knock Kylie's socks off in a great way. But first, thank you so much to our patrons for helping us to help Kylie tell her story. Thank you, Jenny Woods, Kit Gregg, Jess Gamelli, Ali Mack, Nicole Galloway and Annette Gill. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming up on Australian True Crime, a private moment between Kylie, Nicole, and a special song. But first... Kylie emailed me a couple of days after we first spoke to say that she felt she'd left something important out of our original conversation. So we jumped back on the line again. Well, thank you so much for being open. I just had this niggling feeling and it just wouldn't go away that, yeah, well, it was kind of, to be honest, it's been really surreal because like wanting to talk to you and then ending up doing a podcast, my friend that told me about you just thinks it's, hilarious and the best thing ever that she mentioned you that you spoke about Nikki on a podcast and now I'm now I'm on one. That's hilarious. Boy, I did a lot of talking. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's fantastic. We love that. It's not about me, babe. I thought, oh you poor thing. When I listen to it, I'm like, oh my gosh. 
<laughs> and the other thing I thought was, wow, I actually I got all stressy at the end because I realised I kind of I I think in order to talk about that stuff, I must have to on some level some level of consciousness actually leave my body. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like I can say it without feeling it, but then after, like, wow, it's it's um, full on. Because I, yeah, I learned a lot and I hadn't talked about it for so long. So it's been such a long time since I've done any, like this was, I think this whole process was really interesting compared to when I've been invited to speak at places or preach at churches or share my testimony like I can feel like I've been hit by a bus. Like in the past, I used to feel like, whoa, you know, really exposed and really like I didn't get that, which is really good because I think I didn't have all the weeks leading up to I didn't prepare. It was just all. So I, I wonder if there was some sort of I think that was helpful to not overthink it and just trust the process. Thank you again for the new experience. And I was just thinking um, I just – I don't know whether it was because it was a new forum and it felt secular. So I, I think there was something in me that felt like, oh, maybe I'm not meant to talk about God, which was, but now learning about you, that you're very open to spirituality. And, you know, my daughter told me you've written three books about Buddhism and I'm just like, wow, she's really open. And I, and then I, but I just had this niggle that I just didn't, because honestly it is really, it is really by the grace of God that, I do what I do and it is really all about God's purposes for my life now. Like that's how, like I gave Victor Frankl all this credit, but I, did, you know, I didn't give God's intervention in my life enough credit, I didn't think, and, and that was just wouldn't go away. So I, I was brave and so don't want to be a pain. And But if, if you're able to edit in a couple of little things, that would be much, much appreciated. I just feel, then I'd actually feel like more than satisfied I feel satisfied. Yeah, that's easy. No worries at all. Oh, that's awesome. There was the bit where um, you'll probably remember where I say, would we choose it? No way, not in a million years. And that's obvious. And Because you said something along like how other victims of crime have talked about it. The, the funny way that it becomes a gift. I just felt like I didn't emphasize enough. So would we choose it not in a million years? That's obvious. The thing is my family didn't have a choice. And if we did have a choice, we would never have chosen for Nikki to go through what she went through. And, you know, so we didn't have a choice, but now we have to choose life. And and I felt a bit bad. I felt I felt that it was a bit judgmental when I said about victims of crime. I did say that it's a terrible tragedy and it eats them, it kills them. I really feel like if there's some way to put in that, this is where I feel like the God intervention might be a good place to put it, but you might think it's somewhere else. But I feel like that I'd like to say perhaps I would have stayed in that that terrible place of despair if it hadn't been for God's intervention in my life. I think it might be really helpful if you told us a bit about that moment that you felt God's intervention in your life, if, if it was a moment. Do you th- yeah, do you think that is something that you'd like to put in? Yeah. Ah, well, sure, I can tell you exactly. Um, I was upstairs at home on my own feeling very sorry for myself, very, very full of self-pity and just deep, deep sorrow and um, desperation and the girls were with their dad that weekend and I was home alone, like I said, feeling very sorry for myself and I literally fell to my knees in my bedroom and I cannot even describe the way that I, I suppose you'd say I howled out a prayer, but I, I, I sort of this guttural prayer, like if there's a God out there, you have to help me because I cannot do this anymore. And it was that complete moment of despair and I guess complete surrender and I felt a physical presence come and stand beside me so that I actually turned to look and see who it was, almost expecting it to be Nicole because I was just so obsessed and so desperate to see her again. And... um, there was no one there, but I felt this incredible presence. And 
and I knew then that I didn't really know anything about religion or, or the Bible or anything, but in that moment I knew God was real um, and now I suspect maybe that was a Jesus that came to stand beside me or an angel, I don't know, but it was physical. But what what was different is all of a sudden I had this peace feeling in my or hope and peace and this zenness, I suppose, this calmness, this enter my heart and my mind and all of a sudden I had this feeling everything's going to be okay and I had not had that. I just had this tormented mind and these really unmanageable emotions that I was trying to control but I just got to the point that I just thought I couldn't. So God's intervention in my life is I can't deny it. I can't deny that. It was very real and like I said earlier, I was I was an atheist, but I could not deny this incredible intervention in my life. And I remember I didn't go downstairs that night and, like, my sister wasn't alive again and my husband hadn't come back at, at that stage and there was still washing spewing out of the laundry and dishes piled up in the sink and my head was still a mess. But all of a sudden I knew I had this peace and this hope. All of a sudden I knew that. I was, it was going to be okay, I was going to get through this and that, it's very real and that's, and all of a sudden I've just had promptings and I've just known the next step to take. I had someone almost walking alongside me to help me. That That's how I describe my life today is that I have help. And, yeah, it, it, it was a profound experience and, you know, the only other, other time that I've ever experienced anything like that was I referred earlier to viewing Nikki's body in the coffin and that was an incredibly distressing moment and what I didn't share was I pulled up I had some time alone with her and I pulled up a chair alongside and um I started singing to her a titters song we were mad about titters back in the oh, day titters. do you remember titters yeah I love titters and I, I just, we had a song that we used to sing, you know, You Are My Sister, and I started singing that to her, and I felt like she'd come and sat on my lap. I felt a physical presence. So that's, and I feel that that was probably God then too, comforting me at my most heartbroken time. But I didn't, didn't know that then. I suspect now that was a spiritual moment then, but I just, you know, it was, I just thought that was Nikki's presence there with me or, but, yeah, that's the only other time I've felt that very physical as if someone has come to stand beside me. I couldn't see, but it was very real, very actual physical feeling as if someone's actually there touching you. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to play that song at the end of this podcast, I reckon. <gasps> Michelle. Oh, thank you. No problem. It's easy. <gasps> No, that is so beautiful and honouring. Oh, wow, you're a very special soul. Thank you so much. No, seriously, this has um, just been really a lovely, yeah, lovely to go back there and share with someone about Nikki and someone that's met her. And But also I had something to add that I think you're going to love, Kylie. Yeah. Because I've had an epiphany. Oh, wow. As well. Yes, honestly, I have. <laughs> I, and it's also a confession, to be honest, because I have always been a very passionate opponent of the chaplains in schools program. <gasps> oh, Michelle, you have not. I have. I have. I... See, look how God is working. Oh, well, yes, I hadn't thought Are of it that way. Are you feeling a little yes. bit better about chaplains now that you know it's not a religious program, it's a well-being program? I'm I'm feeling 100% better about it. Are you serious? I'm deadly serious. I'm converted. <gasps> Michelle, that is the best. Like imagine if because people are so misinformed, unfortunately, we are not allowed to proselytize. I think we're not allowed to proselytize. I think that is why I was reticent to to talk too much about my faith. I had this because part of I work in a government school and we are not allowed to talk about God. So I have to exhibit love and light and act as if Jesus, as I want people need to see me through my actions, not my words. Does that make sense? And so it's. it's Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Ever since you 
first started talking to me about what you do in your daily work, about helping families, uh, dealing with just normal family issues and helping kids deal with grief <gasps> and with family violence and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. I get it. <gasps> Michelle, I'm, you've made my day. That is so exciting. If you ever want to do a podcast about that conversion and we could talk about that and and perhaps clear that up for other people because seriously, just recently there's there's been many attempts over the years and they've all been thwarted, praise God, because chaplains, and I'm not just talking about me, like hopefully I'm making a, a difference. Well, listen, I've been part of those attempts, Kylie. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've actively campaigned to get chaplains oh, out of schools, Kylie. Wow. And yes, You're... I'm a big, I'm a big get for you, Kylie. Michelle, this is a god job. Can you feel that? Can you feel like seriously? Can you feel something that, like that? There's something. There was something for you in this meeting as well. Like it wasn't just all like. Oh, there's been lots in this meeting for me, Kylie. There's been wow, tons. Wow, that is I that that is really cool. Thank you for like wow. Thank you for sharing that and being brave. <laughs> I was going to email you and tell you that, but then you oh. gave me this opportunity, or maybe God did. Oh, been working again. No so. way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love honesty. I love it. That's so awesome. I, wow. Oh, my gosh. You were one of those. You, but you're not anymore. No. Wow. Oh. <laughs> oh, you're gorgeous. I'm so pumped. I'm going to tell my friends. I had my Zoom date with my girls, on the girls I went to school with, and I'm like, oh, I've got to tell you, it's been a really bizarre week. Have any of you heard of Michelle Laurie, you know? They're like, yeah, and I'm like, what? And like, oh, and they're all like, and I'm like, well, just did a podcast with her this morning. And they're like, what? <laughs> there you go. Will my sister beside me? I am strong, I am free. When she's with me, yeah. Will my sister beside me? I am strong, I am free. She believes in me. Thank you. It's been a lovely, lovely experience. In a bizarre way, you know. <laughs> It feels but like I really love new experiences. So yeah, like now I'm, yeah now I'm now I'm a podcaster. Thank you to Kylie Nicholas, school chaplain extraordinaire, and to retired homicide detective Jeff Ma, who features on episode 31, which has been uploaded again so you can learn about his investigation into Nicole Patterson's murder. Thank you to our patrons Mary Murphy, Isabella, Wendy Love, Julie and Steph Davidson. And thank you to you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, made in association with the ACAST Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, Michelle Laurie here. And as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.